Section five of Not George Washington by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Deborah Lynn. Not George Washington by P. G. Woodhouse. Part two, chapter two. I evacuate Bohemia. James Orlebar Cloister's narrative continued. The three weeks which I spent at number ninety three A mark an epoch in my life. It was during that period that I came nearest to realizing my ambition to be a Bohemian, and at the end of the third week, for reasons which I shall state, I deserted Bohemia firmly and with no longing, lingering glance behind, and settled down to the prosaic task of grubbing earnestly for money. The second floor back had a cupboard of a bedroom leading out of it. Even I, desirous as I was of seeing romance in everything, could not call my lodgings anything but dingy, dark, and commonplace. They were just like a million other of London's mean lodgings. The window looked out over a sea of back yards, bounded by tall, depressing houses, and intersected by clotheslines. A cat's club, social, musical, and pugilistic, used to meet on the wall to the right of my window. One or two dissipated trees gave the finishing touch of gloom to the scene. Nor was the interior of the room more cheerful. The furniture had been put in during the reign of George the Third and last dusted in that of William and Mary. A black horsehair sofa ran along one wall. There was a deal table, a chair, and a rickety bookcase. It was a room for a realist to write in, and my style, such as it was, was bright and optimistic. Once in, I set about the task of ornamenting my abode with much vigor. I had my own ideas of mural decoration. I papered the walls with editorial rejection forms, of which I was beginning to have a representative collection. Properly arranged, these look very striking. There is a good deal of variety about them. The ones I liked best were those which I have received, at the rate of three a week, bearing a very pleasing picture, in green, of the publishing offices at the top of the sheet of note-paper. Scattered about in sufficient quantities, these lend an air of distinction to a room. Pearson's magazine also supplies a taking line in rejection forms. Punches I never cared for very much. Neat, I grant you, but, to my mind, too cold. I like a touch of colour in a rejection form. In addition to these, I purchased from the grocer at the corner a collection of pictorial advertisements. What I had really wanted was the theatrical poster, printed and signed by well-known artists. But the grocer didn't keep them, and I was impatient to create my proper atmosphere. My next step was to buy a corn-cob pipe and a quantity of rank jet-black tobacco. I hated both, and kept them more as ornaments than for use. Then, having hacked my table about with a knife, and battered it with a poker, till it might have been the table of a shaggy and unrecognized genius, I settled down to work. I was not a brilliant success. I had that little knowledge which is held to be such a dangerous thing. I had not plunged into the literary profession without learning a few facts about it. I had read nearly every journalistic novel and hints on writing for the papers book that had ever been published. In theory, I knew all that there was to be known about writing. Now, all my authorities were very strong on one point. Write, they said, very loud and clear. Not what you like, but what editors like. I smiled to myself when I started. I felt that I had stolen a march on my rivals. All round me, I said to myself, are young authors bombarding editors with essays on Lucretius, translations of Marshall, and disquisitions on Ionic comedy. I know too much for that. I work on a different plan. Study the papers and see what they want, said my authorities. I studied the papers. Some wanted one thing, apparently, others another. 
There was one group of three papers whose needs seemed to coincide, and I could see an article rejected by one paper being taken by another. This offered me a number of chances instead of one. I could back my manuscripts to win or for a place. I began a serious siege of these three papers. By the end of the second week I had curious freaks of eccentric testators, singular scenes in court, actors who have died on the stage, curious scenes in church, and seven others rejected by all three. Somehow this sort of writing is not so easy as it looks. A man who was on the staff of a weekly once told me that he had had two thousand of these articles printed since he started. Poor devil! He had the knack. I could never get it. I sent up fifty-three in all in the first year of my literary life, and only two stuck. I got fifteen shillings from one periodical for men who have missed their own weddings, and later a guinea from the same for single-day marriages. That paper has a penchant for the love interest. Yet, when I sent it my duchesses who have married dustmen, it came back by the early post next day. That was, to me, the worst part of those grey days. I had my victories, but they were always followed by a series of defeats. I would have a manuscript accepted by an editor. Hello, I would say, here's the man at last, the editor who believes in me. Let the thing go on. I would send him off another manuscript. He would take it. Victory, by Jove! Then wonk! Back would come my third effort with the curtest of refusals. I always imagined editors in those days to be pettish, whimsical men who amused themselves by taking up a beginner and then, wearying of the sport, dropped him back into the slime from which they had picked him. In the intervals of articles I wrote short stories, again for the same three papers. As before, I studied these papers carefully to see what they wanted, then worked out a mechanical plot, invariably with a quarrel in the first part, an accident and a rescue in the middle, and a reconciliation at the end. Told it in a style that makes me hot all over when I think of it, and sent it up, enclosing a stamped addressed envelope in case of rejection. A very useful precaution, as it always turned out. It was the little knowledge to which I have referred above which kept my walls so thickly covered with rejection forms. I was in precisely the same condition as a man who has been taught the rudiments of boxing. I knew just enough to hamper me, and not enough to do me any good. If I had simply blundered straight at my work and written just what occurred to me in my own style, I should have done much better. I have a sense of humor. I deliberately stifled it. For it I substituted a grisly kind of playfulness. My hero called my heroine Little Woman, and the concluding passage where he kissed her was written in a sly, roguish vein, for which I suppose I shall have to atone in the next world. Only the editor of the Colney Hatch Argus could have accepted work like mine, yet I toiled on. It was about the middle of my third week at number 93A that I definitely decided to throw over my authorities and work by the light of my own intelligence. Nearly all my authorities had been very severe on the practice of verse writing. It was, they asserted, what all young beginners tried to do, and it was the one thing editors would never look at. In the first ardor of my revolt I determined to do a set of verses. It happened that the weather had been very bad for the last few days. After a month and a half of sunshine, the rain had suddenly begun to fall. I took this as my topic. It was raining at the time. I wrote a satirical poem full of quaint rhymes. I had always had rather a turn for serious verse. It struck me that the rain might be treated poetically as well as satirically. That night I sent off two sets of verses to a daily and an evening paper. Next day both were in print with my initials to them. I began to see light. 
"'Verse is the thing,' I said. "'I will reorganize my campaign. First the skirmishers, then the real attack. "'I will peg along with verses till somebody begins to take my stories and articles.' "'I felt easier in my mind than I had felt for some time. "'A story came back by the nine o'clock post from a monthly magazine, "'to which I had sent it from mere bravado, but the thing did not depress me. "'I got out my glue-pot and began to fasten the rejection form to the wall.' whistling a lively air as I did so. While I was engaged in this occupation, there was a testy rap at the door, and Mrs. Driver appeared. She eyed my manoeuvres with the rejection form with a severe frown. After a preliminary sniff, she embarked upon a rapid lecture on what she called my irregular and untidy habits. I had turned her second-floor back, she declared, into a pigsty. "'Such a litter!' she said. "'But,' I protested, "'this is a bohemian house, is it not?' She appeared so shocked, indeed so infuriated, that I dared not give her time to answer. "'The gentleman below, he's not very tidy,' I added diplomatically. "'What gent below?' said Mrs. Driver. I reminded her of the night of my arrival. "'All in,' she said, shaken. "'Well, he's not come back.' "'Mrs. Driver,' I said sternly, "'you said he'd gone out for a stroll. I refused to believe that any man would stroll for three weeks.' "'So I did say it,' was the defiant reply." "'I said it so as you shouldn't be put off coming. "'You looked a steady young feller, and I wanted to let. "'Wish I'd told you the truth, if it had a stopped you. "'What is the truth? "'He was a wrong, and he was. "'Writing begging letters to parties as was a bit soft. "'That was his little game. "'But he was a bit too clever one day, and the coppers got him. "'Now you know.' "'Mrs. Driver paused after this outburst, "'and allowed her eye to wander slowly and ominously round my walls. "'I was deeply moved. "'My one link with Bohemia had turned out a fraud.' Mrs. Driver's voice roused me from my meditations. "'I must arst you to be good enough, if you please, kindly to remove those there bits of paper.' She pointed to the rejection forms. I hesitated. I felt that it was a thing that ought to be broken gently. "'The fact is, Mrs. Driver,' I said, "'and no one can regret it more deeply than I do, "'the fact is they're stuck on with glue.' Two minutes later I had received my marching orders— and the room was still echoing with the slam of the door as it closed behind the indignant form of my landlady. End of section 5